now with the latest from the world of technology. This is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 221. You are listening to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news, views and reviews. Thanks for listening and thanks for downloading. First time listeners, welcome aboard. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, is Apple about to release a new MacBook Pro? Microsoft's HoloLens is open for pre-orders and the latest craze that could smash your smartphone. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the PlayStation VR and the launch games, as well as Samsung's new curved high-definition monitor. In the Tech Guide reviews, we chat to Independence Day director Roland Emmerich, and we'll finish it off with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and also Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. Plenty to talk about, so let's get cracking. Well, there's a lot of rumours circulating about the MacBook Pro. They have been for some time, I should say. MacBook Pro, it's been a few years since the design has changed. And the rumours, according to all the rumours, that is about to change with an all-new design, an all-new MacBook Pro. It'll still be available in the 13-inch and 15-inch sizes, of course, with Retina Display. But the thing, the most noticeable change, of course, will be the design. And Apple is no stranger to making a thin laptop, as they have done with the MacBook Air, and also more recently with a MacBook. And they're going to apply those smarts to the MacBook Pro. It is going to be thinner. It is going to be lighter. It's also going to have a few other features as well. But just on the design, we think it's going to have the same unibody aluminium construction. It is going to be thinner, and you've got to remember that Apple have developed the technology to make thinner keyboards, thinner unibodies, and they've even created ways to uh, spread the battery around even inside the chassis of the computer so that it can take up less space as well. The screen is, is also thinner than ever. They developed screen technology with the MacBook to make it even thinner. So add all that up. And we're likely to see a new MacBook Pro as early as next week. The rumors are pretty strong. There are reports that October 27, for some reason, is a date that I keep hearing. So if you are in the market for a MacBook Pro, my suggestion is to wait a little while because you may have a brand new model to choose from next week. But what is it going to have? What are the new features? Well, one thing a MacBook Pro will never have is a touchscreen. A lot of Windows PCs, a lot of Windows laptops have this touchscreen feature, not so the MacBook Pro. But what it is going to have is probably the next best thing, and that is a small 
OLED touch panel. So anyone who's ever used a MacBook Pro or any Mac, uh, Mac laptop for that matter will notice at the very top of the keyboard is a thinner row of keys that are used, that are function keys, media control keys. They, they are the thinner row of keys on the keyboard at the very top, just below the screen, near the hinge of the, of the MacBook Pro. The OLED screen, this OLED touch panel, is reportedly going to replace that top row of keys. And on this little display, will it will it will show you the application that you're using. It'll also give you controls for that application, like MIDI controls, play buttons, pause buttons, and also give you information like your battery level, Wi-Fi, the time. So it's basically to replicate the menu bar on uh, on OS. On at the top on the top row of the keys, and that will of course allow you to interact with that screen. So if you need to use those those media control keys or find what other Wi-Fi networks are available or do a search using Spotlight or you look at your notifications, you can simply press on that OLED panel as if you would a normal key on the keyboard. That's that's the main change that was that we've heard about. That's going to be part of the new MacBook Pro. Other changes will include USB-C. USB-C port was introduced with the MacBook, and of course we think it's a no-brainer that there will be USB-C ports on the new MacBook Pro as well. Also, there will be a Thunderbolt 3 port, so you can connect displays and drives and have really fast data transfer. Uh, Under the hood, we're going to see the latest Intel new Skylake chips. Upgraded graphics cards, two graphics chips, I should say, which are uh, reportedly being supplied by AMD. Now, when will we see it? We hear, as we said earlier, as early as next week, October 27 is a date that keeps popping up, but it will definitely be within the next few weeks. If you want to read more about the new MacBook Pro, the rumored new MacBook Pro, and check out a couple of concept images, you can check them out at techguide.com. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. While we're on the subject of computers, Microsoft has just uh, announced pre-orders for its HoloLens. This is an all-new computer that at first glance looks a little bit like an oversized pair of glasses. It is, in fact, the HoloLens, and it is a fully-fledged Windows 10 computer. And it has, at the front, a pair of lenses that allows you to view holograms in your field of vision. So there are applications that are being created by a number of partners around the world, various companies that are creating applications that will take advantage of this technology. We had a bit of a try of the HoloLens last week. There were there are a number of applications, a number of ways that this technology can be used. So uh, the, the idea of the HoloLens is to allow you to view and interact with holographic images while still being able to see your surroundings. So for example, there's a table and then it's possible to create a hologram on top of that table to give it a frame of reference in and other other industries they're developing this technology so that it could supplement reality so they could overlay information over a, a control panel or a, a patient in an operation or in a in a production line of a factory 
So there are all these various ways that it can be used. It could be used even in the design area where you can actually visualize the changes to whatever you're designing on top of the real thing. So you can see firsthand how it would appear. So this technology has been adopted by a number of developers. There's been a developer version for some time, and the device has just gone on pre-sale. So pre-orders are available now with a ship date in Australia and New Zealand uh, sometime in November. So that's only uh, uh, weeks away. But we did have a try of the HoloLens, and the first thing we did was we checked out an education application, and it was a, a, an application that showcased the solar system. So before our eyes, we saw, and we were just standing in an empty room, we did see the solar system appear. And as we looked around the room, and because it's a hologram, we could walk around it, through it, look underneath, look from above, uh, and the whole and the hologram changed its aspect depending on where we were standing and what angle we were looking at it. And as we looked at each of the planets, including the sun and the earth, the name appeared, and we were able to do a virtual click. So by by closing our fist and simply imitating a button click in midair, that allowed us to select various planets within the solar system to hear more about them and learn more about each one. And when we were finished, we simply had to say back and it would take us back to the previous level because this the HoloLens also has voice control. It was a remarkable demonstration, and I think it's the future of education. Kids, I think, would would come alive listening and learning uh, at, at things in this manner. I think it's really it's interactive, it's fun, and and they'll be learning something at the same time as well. The other application we saw was a, like a military application. It was uh, Saab, which is actually, they used to make cars, but they're actually a defense company now. They showed us uh, a map and the ability for for army and, and other, other uh, personnel to organize various things, whether to mobilize troops and to, to see where all their hardware is located and all these sorts of things. It was really uh, a three-dimensional view of a map and they were able to move objects from one part to the other and order troops to move down here and up there so uh, the next war hopefully that'll never happen but uh, the hollow lens could play a part in the commanders of that war uh, mobilizing their troops but it, the, that's just scratching the surface of what the hollow lens is capable of there are already many companies like audi and airbus nasa uh, saab as we mentioned are already using HoloLens to, uh, and developing applications, custom applications for themselves to, 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 to perform their tasks, to design components. Whatever they're needing to do, they're finding an easier path with the HoloLens. The HoloLens is also a Windows 10 computer. So you can actually do some mid-air computing. Like you can actually call up the Windows 10 menu and the application icons and, and use it as you would a normal computer. The screen just happens to be floating in front of your eyes rather than you needing a physical monitor to do whatever you needed to do. The HoloLens is available now for pre-order. There are two models, the HoloLens Development Edition and the HoloLens Commercial Suite. The Development Edition is $4,369. The commercial suite uh, is $7,269. You pre-order right now and expect a delivery sometime in November. And if you want to check that out, I'll put a video as well as some images at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. 
Well, there is a, a bit of a craze sweeping the internet right now, and it is uh, pretty little, a little dangerous, I have to say, because the, the, there is a risk that you could smash your smartphone trying to do it. Now, what is it, I hear you ask, and it is the no-hands selfie. As it sounds, it is a way for you to take a photo without actually you holding your smartphone. And to do that, you need to actually throw your phone in the air and obviously activate the self-timer, so a three-second timer, whatever timer you're comfortable with. Throw the phone in the air and then time it so that it takes the photo as it's near your face. Now, the problem with that is that, yes, you might take the photo, but you need to ha actually have the reflexes to catch the phone again before it hits the ground. Unfortunately, there's been a few people who've been unsuccessful, their phone smashing to the hard ground and breaking their screens or breaking their entire phone altogether. Now, to make it even harder, if you really want to challenge yourself, you can try to clap your hands while the device is in midair. So what you need is a mirror. And anyone who's familiar with mirror selfies will know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll need a mirror and you need to throw your phone up in the air and time it so that it takes the photo of you. If you want to clap your hands, give yourself a high five, that's your choice. But the idea is to capture the phone and yourself, the phone in midair and you in the photo at the same time. Uh, there, there was a guy, Seth Schneider, his name is, who actually took a photo and said it, he tweeted the photo saying it was the proudest day of his, of his life. He took a picture of, of, of himself giving himself a high five. On Twitter, that photograph was re retweeted 180,000 times and liked 450,000 times. Such is the scale of this new craze. So if you are going to try this out, I've got a few hints to, to give to you to to give you the best chance of success, but also the best chance of not smashing your smartphone to pieces. Number one, put a case on your phone. So a rugged case would do the trick. Ones that are designed to be, if you drop your phone, it's still going to protect the device. Number two, if you are going, to, if the fall, if, if the if the phone does fall to the ground, try to break the fall with a pillow or a, or a mattress or a towel or blankets or something that'll keep your phone from hitting the hard floor. Now, here's a little bit of a tip on technique. Now, what pe most people are doing is setting the timer and throwing the phone so that it takes the so they throw the phone up in the air. It reaches the top of its arc and on its way down. They're timing it to take the photo on the way down. Well, that's risky because it's not going to give you much time to catch the phone. So what I suggest is, is take your photo, set your timer, and take your photo as your phone is going up. So as it passes upwards in front of your face, time it so that it takes the photo then rather than on the way down. At least this way, it goes up, it takes the photo, reaches its, the top of its arc and comes back down again. You're ready to catch the phone. So that's another tip. This way, you're going to save save your phone hitting the floor. The other thing to do, and a lot of people are using mirror selfies here, so they're in bathrooms and places with where they're standing up, and there's a hard floor underneath them. What we suggest to do, if you do have happen to have access to a mirror, 
try kneel in front of the mirror so that it's less of a fall to the ground. If you do miss catching your phone again, you at least will be kneeling down so it's not as far to the floor as it would be if you were standing up. It is a craze. I'm sure it's going to die out soon. But you've heard about it here, the no-hands selfie. If you want to check that out, I'll put some images of people actually completing successful no-hands selfies, some interesting ones there, as well as Seth Schneider's tweet and his photograph. If you want to check all of those out, you can do that at techguide.com.au. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. While public Wi-Fi at airports, hotels and cafes is convenient, it's not always safe. Did you know that accessing the web using public Wi-Fi can expose your most sensitive information, like passwords, photos and even credit card details, to hackers and identity thieves? Norton Wi-Fi privacy helps encrypt your information when you're online, so it can't be intercepted by prying eyes. So whether you're worried about hackers stealing your passwords or companies tracking your online activity, keep your personal information protected with the new Norton Wi-Fi privacy app. To learn more, visit au.norton.com or search for Norton Wi-Fi privacy on the App Store or Google Play Store. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennig. Tech Guide. Our first product of the week to review is the PlayStation VR. The virtual reality PlayStation has arrived. And I have to say, I've played this oh, nearly a year and a half ago. It was the first time I had actually got my hands on this device. It's been around for that long because it's given developers an opportunity to create some stunning games for this device. And let's face it, this device is only as good as the games you can play on it. So good on Sony for allowing them access to this technology for quite some time to get the launch titles happening. We're talking about 50 titles at launch. It launched last week, and already there are that many titles to support it. And we're going to talk in a little while about those uh, the picks of the launch titles. But first of all, let's have a chat about the device itself. The PlayStation VR is worn over your head. There's, an, there's a headset, so there's a lens, there's an eyepiece and a headband that fits over your head and takes the weight of the eyepiece in the front. And the eyepiece uh, fits... You can actually move it forward and back off your face to get you the best focused and the most comfortable fit. And when you do that, on either side of the two lenses is a black covering so that you are totally enveloped in the game. You can't see out. No light comes in. All you can see is what's in front of you. And being VR, which is virtual reality, the games allow you to turn 360 degrees to look around the room, look above you, below you, behind you, and enjoy this virtual world that you find yourself in. The actual device itself is quite comfortable, really well designed, and it does have great adjustments so that once you're fitted, once it's fitted on you, it actually there's a bit of a counterbalance happening, so it's not too heavy on the front of your face and it's not too tight around your head. I found the design to be excellent. So once you've fitted this, you're ready to go. There are a few connections you need to make, and in the box comes cables, a little processor unit that you have to connect to your TV, then the TV, then the unit that's connected to the PlayStation, 
PlayStation 4. You also need a PlayStation camera, which is sold separately. That allows the unit to track your head movements, and that sort of creates that whole virtual reality effect. There are additional accessories. If you do want to have uh, the, the PlayStation Move controllers, they act as your hands and your weapons in the game, although you can get away with a lot of games with just using your regular PlayStation 4 controller, which you still hold in your hand and use while you're wearing the PlayStation VR. But once you're set up and you're ready to go, and good news is you do get a demo disc within the box, and that allows you to to trial, to, to see that some levels of some games, which we will talk about, including Drive Club VR, Riggs, Mechanized Combat League, Wayward Sky, Eve Valkyrie, a lot of those games. You get a taste of those and the option to buy them if you, if you like them. So you, it's a try-before-you-buy disc, let's just say. The, uh, once, once you started, once you get into this world... It really is remarkable. It is, as I said in my review, it is a game changer. The, the way games are going to be created, developed, and enjoyed by players are, is totally going to change. And this is a great, a great way to showcase the virtual reality technology because it's been around for a little while and being able to look at 360 photos and videos and things like that Yeah, that's okay, but this allows you to enjoy virtual reality experiences tailor-made for this device, so it really takes it to the next level. I think this is going to be a great on-ramp for people to experience VR and gaming and really take it to the next level. The PlayStation VR, I think you're going to look back on this time and it's going to be seen as something that really changed entertainment, changed gaming for sure. But also you just think of the potential for this technology. What's to stop a filmmaker creating a 360-degree virtual reality film that you just happen to be a part of? You're in the middle of it. And, and these games, that's how you feel. You're in the middle of the action. You're sitting in the cockpit of an aircraft. You're standing in the middle of an arena. You're in the middle of this environment. You can look around and experience these things as if you're there. It is really going to change things up. Now, I did speak earlier about the launch titles. There are a few of them. And we, we took a look at the picks of these new launch games. There's, there's a few to choose from. If you're a Batman fan... It's a no-brainer. You need to buy Batman Arkham VR. Now, this isn't really an action game. It's more an investigative game where the you sort of you you there in the world of the Caped Crusader. You sort of there's a mystery that needs to be solved. You get to visit Wayne Manor, the Bat Cave, and you can even there's even an opportunity for you to try on the bat suit. Definitely worth a look if you're a Batman fan. Eve Valkyrie is a high-speed flying space combat game. As close to a flying simulator as you can get, it's because it's got pretty accurate controls if you ever piloted an aircraft or flown a flight, used a flight simulator. Uh, it is pretty high speed, so this one is for those with a with pretty strong stomach and the ability because this one made me a little bit dizzy. I was sort of spinning around and twisting around, and that's bad enough in, in an, using a normal screen, let alone with VR. It, it can be a bit much for some people. Riggs Mechanized Combat League is another, another game allows you to pilot these machines, these combat robots. So you're sitting inside the robot. The robot's got its own arms and legs and weapons, and you've got to help your opponent score and blow up your... You've got to help your teammates score, I should say, and blow up your opponents. Uh, it is a pretty addictive game. It allows you to jump around the board, jump around the arena, play various different environments. 
definitely worth a look. Battle Zone is a tank game. It's a bit slower than the Eve than than the Rigs game, but uh, again puts you in the pilot seat and allows you to play these games as if you're sitting in the middle of the arena. There are some other titles that uh, really are going to showcase VR in in an excellent way. One of them is with a game called London Heist, which is a part of a game title called VR Worlds. Or sort of these, it's one of these mini games on aboard that disc. And I played this a year and a half ago, and it was excellent then, and it's been it's even better now. And this is a game that allows you to step into this game. You are questioned, you are you're interrogated, you you you're in a gunfight. You are in the in a car chase, and in the car chase, you can look around the car, lean out of the car, shoot back at the bad guys. It is remarkable. People watching you play VR, by the way, are going to think you're crazy because you you do look a bit silly when people outside looking in watching you play the VR because they can't see what you see, or they can actually if they've got the screen, you've got the screen on as well because they they see what you see on the on your television. So you are going to look pretty crazy. It's it's worthwhile if getting someone to video you while you're playing London Heist. That's what I did in Berlin a year and a half ago. I did look a bit of a goose, but I was having loads of fun. Another game, a good game, is Here They Lie, which is a bit of a scary kind of atmospheric game that takes you through these creepy environments and there's some mysteries to be solved and it's a few frights along the way. So... Maybe uh, if, if you're, uh, you don't mind a bit of a scare, give that a try. Now, if you don't mind scary games at all, and there are some games in VR that I think are going to really escalate the fear factor, the scare factor, because playing a scary game normally, well, on a normal screen, you're sitting there in a chair and you're, you know, you're just playing it, that, that's pretty creepy to start with. Now, Imagine that experience where you're you're in the world, you're there, you're kind of locked into this world, and that ca- takes a, the fear factor, I think, to another level. There is a game called Until Dawn, Rush of Blood, that is that's good for an, a few frights. If you don't mind that sort of thing, a lot of sudden scares, things jump out. Uh, this horror game is is pretty creepy. It starts off as a ride at a carnival, but then you end up battling killer clowns and children and spiders, and it's all all kinds of things. It is really your heart's going to be pumping playing this game. But that's the whole idea of VR to take us into these worlds, to give us these experiences that a normal game wouldn't. And I've got to say. PlayStation VR has succeeded on that front. If you want to read more about the PlayStation VR and those games, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fenning. Tech Guide. Righto. Next up, we're talking about a curved monitor from Samsung. It's a 27-inch curved monitor. It's the CF591. 27-inch full high-definition monitor but it's got a little curve in it. It's got a 19-degree curve, to be precise. And what this allows you to do, it is 27 inches wide, 16 by 9 aspect ratio. So it does that that curve on the monitor uh, really is effective. We've heard of curves on televisions, and Samsung have put plenty of curves on their TVs. And that's fine, but don't forget you're sitting a few metres away from it. So the curve is there, 
and you can enjoy the immersive quality that it offers. But having a curve on your monitor, uh, something that you sit half a metre away from, the curve is even more immersive, in my opinion. So if you're using it, obviously, for your day-to-day work, it's, it's a quite a big bit of real estate there. You can split your screen and do lots of stuff. But when it comes to doing things like playing games, watching movies, it does really take it to the next step. There is a there is speakers built into this by the way there is uh the design is actually quite quite stylish it's got a white rear panel a bezel that's virtually non-existent on on the the top left and right sides of the screen there's a small chin on the bottom it's a silver panel that runs along the bottom of the display it's got a circular stand that's got a pretty pretty small footprint so it's not going to take up too much space on the connectivity side you've got one HDMI slot a a display port uh, also a D-sub port as well. There's, there's headphone, jack, audio in. So connectivity is not too bad. No USB, no Thunderbolt. So uh, if, if you're wanting to to connect a Mac, for example, you have to use HD. you got to hope there's a HDMI connection, which is what I did with my MacBook Pro. Uh, and, if you, of course, if you can use the HDMI connection to link up a Blu-ray player or a gaming console. You can put a PlayStation on this thing or an Xbox. So you could uh, use this monitor not only for your computer, for those other products as well. Now, it's full high definition, so it's 1920 by 1080. It's got 3,000 to 1 contrast ratio. I was really impressed with the picture quality and the color color reproduction. It does use Samsung's active crystal color technology, which uh, has uh, pretty respectable black levels, nice colors as well. And if you're a gamer, there is AMD FreeSync. Now, this allows you to, it, it plays really fast, fast-moving images really smoothly, but it also syncs with the refresh rate of whatever you're pumping into it. So if you're playing a game, it matches the refresh rate and minimizes that latency because every second counts in a game. If there's one bit of latency, a bit of lag in the game, that could mean the difference between you winning that game online or losing. So gamers, this is a really important feature for them. Uh, it's got a five-millisecond response time, so it's pretty fast to begin with, but that free sync helps it or helps it along even better. Uh, the device is one thing I would have liked to have seen on it is maybe a secondary HDMI port and maybe even a USB port. There's no USB on it at all. There's just the 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 connections that I mentioned earlier. But overall, I quite enjoyed using this. It, it did give you that immersive feeling whether you're watching a movie or playing a game. Uh, we used it as well to watch some Blu-rays on it as well. The the, the quality, the image quality was great. The, that full HD picture was pretty sharp. The, those black levels, as I mentioned, were pretty nice as well. But one downside is it's expensive. It's five hundred and forty nine ninety five. So that's a lot of money to pay for a monitor. Granted, it is a good monitor. It's got great, great screen. It's got a really nice, elegant design. That nice curved screen looks really good. Looks really stylish. But you're paying five hundred and forty nine. 95. If you want to read more about that review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide interview. Tech Guide. Our Tech Guide interview this week is with a film director named Roland Emmerich. Now, he's best known for directing blockbusters like Stargate and the original Independence Day which was an absolute blockbuster 20 years ago. Well, 20 years later, Independence Day Resurgence is just about to be released on Blu-ray disc, 4K, high definition, as well as on digital as well. 
Uh, we got a chance to to chat with Roland Emmerich about the film. We asked him about why it took so long to create a sequel, how he uh, included a, a well-known Australian cast member, and his thoughts on 4K and that whole setup for home viewing. And here's what he had to say earlier. Well, hi, Roland. Thanks for joining me on the Tech Guide podcast. Hello. Congratulations on the film. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, it's been a long time since the original film. When did you decide that a sequel would go ahead? Was that a hard decision? Well, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was like kind of several reasons how that happened. It took quite a long time. First, was like kind of, first I was like uh, inspired by technology. Uh, when I was doing the movie in 2012, you know, I was just amazed how what and how you can uh, shoot movies these days and how what you can create in the computer. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I started talking to my visual effects supervisor, Volker Engel. Um, gosh, you know, Volker, what could we do in a, in a new independence space? Uh-huh. And that was like kind of the, the kennel of the first interest for me because I'm always, you know, was not so interested in... Uh, doing a sequel of any of my movies so um and then you know over the years you know then i naturally went first to fox and asked them would you be interested in i said yes we would Uh, and then i kind of started you know like kind of uh, working on i mean several scripts until Uh we finally um you know found the, the right way to tell it. Do we? Did you have fans uh, in, in those years between the original film uh, begging you uh, to create a sequel? The first ten years, the first ten years, I was like constantly asked. Uh-huh. Not only by the studio, by everybody else. <laughs> uh, and you know, but I always like said, look, I have so many other movies I want to make, and uh, and you know, I generally don't really like sequels. And I kind of said, if I do something, it has to be, you know, something totally different. And, uh, okay. and you know, and, it's, uh, and then it actually helped to me that I waited too long because by that time, you know, some sort of a new generation was growing up and, uh, uh-huh. and I could make it about, you know, the, the handoff of the older generation to the younger generation. Well, how important, once you decided to make the sequel, how important was it to get as many of the original cast together again? Well, yeah, it's like super important because, you know, I mean, otherwise it would be a totally new film. So uh, also I, when I found out, you know, um, you know, like in, in social media, you start, you know, like asking your followers certain questions <laughs> because <laughs> you make like little surveys. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I kind of found there was a, a huge love for all these characters. And um, so uh, it was an absolute given. And... Um, I stayed friendly with uh, with Jeff Goldblum, mm-hmm. a little bit also with Del Pullman, but like mainly with Jeff Goldblum. And I called him up and said, "Would you be interested?" And he said, "Yeah, any time." You know, Roland just had to send me a script, and then he had to wait another five years until finally uh-huh. the script came. And, and of course, one of the new cast members is our very own Australian actor Liam Hemsworth. How, how did yeah. you how did you get on with him, and how did he land the role? I mean, I'm, uh, I always, uh, you know, like kind of uh, look out for new up-and-coming actors. And so I knew Liam's work. And, uh, and then when it came to like casting uh, Jake Morrison, he was just one of the three or four candidates which uh-huh. uh, were absolutely perfect for it. And then we actually had the, the luxury to test them all. And he was just the best in the test. 
You mentioned earlier the changes in when you made the original film to today. The changes in technology have advanced significantly in that time, and that was that was one of the factors that you mentioned that that prompted you to to that the sequel would be a reality. How, what what were some of the big differences in producing those special effects? It must have been like chalk and cheese between the original and the new film. Well, you know, I mean, uh, the world of film has changed quite a lot since the original independence. Uh, it's alone like kind of when you look at the number of shots which we had in the first one. There was like 430 visual effect shots. And now, you know, like movies have 1,500 to 2,000, 2,500 uh, visual effect shots. That's already the first change. Secondly, um, you do much more in blue screen uh-huh. because uh, blue screen works much better these days, especially when you shoot with digital cameras. And then, you know, you just uh, can, like, kind of create certain, you know, like, things which you didn't, couldn't uh, create then. Uh, you now can create, like, uh, all these, you know, explosions, uh, smoke clouds, uh, fire effects, all in the computer, which is, like, natural yeah. So, so in the original film, I noticed that you did, you made it. There was a lot of practical effects, like I think when the White House yeah. was blown up, you actually created a miniature. But this time out, it was all in the computer. Yeah, it was like kind of. That's like actually. Uh, it, it, on the one hand, you know, uh, sometimes you miss the old days because you you know you like kind of are a little bit more experimenting and you did it more yourself. Um, but on the other hand, you know, like uh, digital. Um, the whole the whole computer you know CGI can open up your mind and you can like now create things uh-huh. you just couldn't uh, before you know I mean there's no there's no limits to your imagination anymore. Was there was there a, an effect in the first film that you couldn't achieve that you could have today? Was there something in the original Independence Day that you thought, well, I'd love to yeah, do this, but I can't? Many, there, there was actually many many stuff we had uh, we had in the script we couldn't do. Uh huh. Can you name uh, any of those? Kind of mainly stuff when 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 the when the ships came, you know, into the atmosphere. Uh-huh. We wanted to do certain shots, and we just couldn't couldn't do them for the, not not only technology wise, but like kind of the kind of money we had. Yeah, sure. And uh, did you include those shots then? Were they included in the new film? You wanted to show off well, the yeah, technology. A lot of the a lot of the things you know what you see in the new one. It's like actually inspired by stuff we couldn't do in the first one. The whole thing that like kind of uh, one of these ships enters Earth's atmosphere, uh-huh. and you know, and uh, and has like kind of some sort of gravitational pull. That was like pretty much we had that already in in, in certain uh, glimpses in the first one in the script, but never could pull it off. Yeah. So, but this time we made this the main, you know, like uh, big, you know, scene in the. In the you know in the first half of the film, where yeah. you like have to kind of some sort of it, it stands pretty much for the big destruction scene in the first one. It's like kind of actually the ship coming to Earth. Sure, yeah, I, I did notice in in, uh, in this film that a lot of the landmarks were taken from one part of the world and crashed down on another part of the world. I think I noticed the Burj Khalifa crashed down into the Thames, and I think it was the Patronus yeah. Twin Towers as well. Uh, how who decides on which landmarks you're going to destroy? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it's always like a little bit, you know, um, you know, I mean, uh, the whole thing, you know, I was like kind of uh, for White House Down, my last big movie, I was like in uh, Singapore uh, to do promotion. And I realized all of a sudden Singapore is a very little known town. And everybody there asked me, you have to destroy Singapore. And I said, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> I think <laughs> we'll do it just that. And, you know, that was like kind of where everything gets lifted off. But then, again, for like kind of cost reasons, we had to kind of uh, take out the destruction of Dubai, but we kept in the tower going down uh-huh. on, um, on uh, you know, like kind of London and the yeah. Petrona Towers on kind of destroyed on uh, the the tower bridge so it's like kind of just uh, you had to do that that was great uh now now the film independence day resurgence is coming out on blu-ray disc and 4k ultra hd when you're making your films do you look forward uh to the release of the uh of the blu-ray and the 4k films in production do you deliberately put things aside well, I kind of actually we put a lot of uh, we put a lot of uh, love uh, into these things yeah you know? um because uh, my my main DP is like kind of pretty much you know like hands on, kind of trying to kind of make the best uh, you know like kind of 4K version of a of a of a desk. You uh-huh. know? Uh, I mean that's like kind of we we talk about it a lot, and then actually shows me stuff constantly. And that look there, we had to go a little bit brighter, otherwise you know the detail goes away. Here we had to can go darker uh-huh. um, because you want to kind of keep uh, the the you know the Images somewhat like kind of you have to translate it. You cannot just uh, you just cannot like kind of say okay, let's just put it on. You mm-hmm. have to really work for it. So you're you're in favor of 4K UHD? Is that is that obviously yeah, gives like you the actually, best vision? I would actually would love to do movies in 4K. Uh-huh. But it, it's just like kind of special in 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 you can film easily 4K these days. But to create visual effects in 4K is still, uh, I think, three or four or five years away. Yeah, but in terms of the home viewing, 4K uh, discs uh, are becoming more popular, and that would you agree that would make your work look uh, as 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 you intended, as best as it can? Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm 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 just like aware how how TVs become bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. and because of that, the quality has to become better. And uh, I, I kind of also like realize naturally as a filmmaker that movies have a super long life, mainly on DVD and on television. Uh-huh. So what you try to do is like kind of just try to create the best possible quality. Well, Roland, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Okay, thank you. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. And they're introducing the Arlo Q. This is an AC-powered 1080p HD camera with audio and enhanced night vision that lets you see and hear in perfect detail. Arlo Q is an indoor camera designed for the best experience indoors. It comes with two-way audio so you can listen and talk back as, as well. That means you can pop in to see how things are going at home while you're out. So you can set motion alerts, let you know if anything moves, and use seven days of free cloud encodings to store a video record of events online. With Arlo, you've got every angle covered. For more information, visit arlo.com forward slash au. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Our Tech Guide help desk is actually in response to an email we received uh, earlier this week about ADSL. Our reader 
asked us, can we make ADSL faster? I think he was getting 10 megabits per second download, and he was saying that his son was wanted greater download speeds for him to play his Xbox. And our answer was, well, with ADSL, even ADSL 2+, Plus, you are speed is determined by a couple of factors. The main one being how far your home is away from the telephone exchange. If you live next door to the telephone exchange, you're going to get great speeds. If you live two and a half kilometers away, those speeds aren't going to be as good. So it does rely on that. It does also rely, because it is using your copy, your telephone line, so it is relying on that technology as well. Uh, also, depending on how many people are online at the time, there are many factors that slow down ADSL. ADSL is not as fast as cable. Cable has a, is a higher bandwidth, so if you're a Telstra customer, an Optus customer, you might even have the NBN in your area, fibre to the node, fibre to the premises, so that is even faster still. So if you are looking for speed, I'd choose cable over ADSL, and even better than that, if you've got NBN in your area, then the speed is going to be there as well. So uh, that that's, if, if, if it is a case where the Wi-Fi, the range of the Wi-Fi isn't uh, too crash hot in that part of the house, say the Xbox might be in a, a corner of the home where the Wi-Fi is a bit slower, not the, the Wi-Fi range isn't strong, that signal strength isn't that strong, you can try another thing, maybe try a range extender. And what you need to do with the range extender is not actually put it in the room that has the, the weaker signal. You need to put it halfway between your router and that room and that black spot so that it can pick up, the range extender can pick up that strong single signal and push it into that area of your home to strengthen the signal. A lot of people make the mistake of placing the range extender in the black spot not knowing that it can't reach back to the router to increase increase the signal, to improve the signal. So you do need to check that out. Make sure it's about halfway between the router and the area that you want to improve. We've written about plenty of those at techguide.com.au. And that's a wrap on our show for this week. If you want to catch up on anything we've talked about, you can head to techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, drop us an email, info at techguide.com.au. Special shout out to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. We've loved having you with us this week. We look forward to you tuning in next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.